0: Link, learn, and connect with some of the best, most articulate, and practical professionals in the field of speech-language pathology. Do you work with school-age children? You're in the right place to gather new information and great ideas for you and your therapy kids. Getting a child to say a good er sound is one thing, but getting them to use it consistently is another. Now, you know the R program for getting the er, but what about generalization? Well, what about the new R speech practice audios? Kids love to practice them, and you quickly access them via QR codes. Go to SpeechDynamics.com to take advantage of the 40% off sale price. Do it now. I just did a pre-podcast Zoom meeting with today's guest, and our conversation was invigorating. We talked about conflict resolution, not conflict management. She's had some really interesting experiences, and honestly, I didn't know the difference between resolution and management, but I'm anxious to learn more. Here we go. Oh boy, this is great. I'm so glad everybody's here. And before we get started, I would like to mention disclosures. Regarding financial disclosures, Janice Wright does receive an honorarium for this podcast from speechtherapypd.com. And I also receive an honorarium for the speech link. And I'm a presenter for speechtherapypd.com and receive royalties. And I own Speech Dynamics. Neither of us have non financial disclosures. So there we go. Oh, welcome, welcome to our live SpeechLink podcast, sponsored, of course, by SpeechTherapyPD.com. And we're talking today about conflict resolution, essential tools for successful supervision. You are more than welcome to participate. Just type your question or your comment into the chat, and our esteemed guest will respond. And I'm Char Beauchart, your speech-language pathologist host here on the SpeechLink, And my goal is to connect and link us with outstanding professionals in our field so they can bring their knowledge and their expertise and experience to light so we can apply it and improve what we do. And to help us do that today, we have Janice M. Wright, M-A-C-C-C. And Janice is an assistant clinical professor at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. She is the director of clinical education for speech pathology graduate students and supervises graduate students who provide assessments and intervention services at the on, on the on campus feeding clinic. I love that. She teaches pediatric feeding disorders, graduate professional issues, and the multicultural issues course. She has authored and co-authored several publications. And just to name a couple, in 2016 for ASHA Perspectives, she wrote The Why, What, How, When, and Where of Supervision. Then in 2014 for the Ohio Speech and Hearing Association publication, E. Hearsay, she wrote a great article on conflict management and conflict resolution, may I say. In addition, she is one of the founders and co-directors of the Botswana Interprofessional Service Learning Program, a site visitor for the Council of Academic Programs, and is a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee for the Ohio Speech, Language, and Hearing Association. Her areas of interest are pediatric feeding disorders, of course, the art of supervision, diversity, and inclusion, She has presented on these topics across the United States in Taipei, Taiwan, and Botswana, Africa. She is also a certified trainer for the Bridges Out of Poverty Program, the National Mental First Aid Program, the Not a Single Drop Program, and the Diversity Essential Program. Janice, you are a giver, and I'm thrilled to have you here on The Speech Link.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's very exciting to be here. I'm happy to be here. Great. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Well, within the past year, I became aware of you from your amazingly practical and very clear and very comprehensive article in the 2014 E. Hearsay. And I remember reading that because I was doing some research for for another conflict resolution, you know, Podcast that I was doing, and I wanted to read up on it. And lo and behold, I'm like, it just blew me away. I mean, it totally did, mainly because you gave a very uh, comprehensive view of it. But a lot of the history and you know the the uh, you know basically what people normally do you know to resolve conflict or to manage conflict. And then you gave some great suggestions for us. So I'm hoping we can get into all of that and and perhaps even more. Okay. That sounds great. Okay. And so to begin, let's go ahead and lay our semantic base, if you will. And and I, you know, I have a feeling this is probably not the easiest thing to do because it's so varied. But do you have a working definition for us for conflict?
1: Well, oftentimes people think of conflict as being something horrendous, right? They think of people arguing. But conflict is really just that you have a disagreement about a situation. And that disagreement can just mean you're not seeing it in the same perspective. We all have different perspectives of things. I think about the old joke about the six blind men who were sent into a room with an elephant and they each felt a different part of the elephant. And so each of them thought that it was something different. You know, One who felt the legs thought it was a tree trunk. Another one who felt the trunk of the elephant thought it was a snake. And that's how I look at conflict. We're all looking at things from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes because we're not willing to take the other person's perspective or view, that's where that Anger can come in that disagreement that becomes something that is unresolvable Oftentimes, and and we want to we want to say that we will have conflict, but we'll figure out a way to work through it. I think that's what's really important.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the word willing to do that, and is that something that you would say most of us have to deliberately work on doing? mainly because we're caught up in the moment? I mean, I don't necessarily want to get into all of that, but is that more of a deliberate thing that we have
1: to do? I believe that we have to work on it. I think that we're we're sometimes trained to avoid, oftentimes we're trained to avoid, because it's easier to avoid it than to really deal with what the issues are. Um, and so we have to make, and and I, I mentioned in the article too, we have to make a conscientious effort to say, I'm not going to let this go by. I'm going to figure out something that needs to happen with the person that I'm having the conflict with, and that it's not going to be something that occurs overnight. Sometimes, sometimes that's that process because change is a process. But w- we have to we have to think about. What are the steps that we're going to take? Um, uh, there's a, an excellent book um, called Difficult Conversations, and there's lots of books called Difficult Conversations, but they talk about how what we need to do is to think about the what happened in this situation mm-hmm. and also what is it that we want to happen you know, what what is going to be the resolution? And that involves that process of thinking. We, we have to think about it and we have to think about um, uh, the steps that we're going to take in order to resolve that particular conflict. And you notice I use resolve and not manage. I, I think management means that you just put a lid on it and you're hoping it's going to go away. Um, but it's just like, sometimes you find the things in your refrigerator that you put a lid on and you put, put them in the back, going to go back to them. And now what you have is a science experiment. That's right. Um, so <laughs> green mold, So green mold. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know yeah. that's how penicillin was developed, but penicillin's already been developed. I don't think we need to do it again. No. And that's what happens with conflict. You know, we put a lid on it. We think we've solved it. And in actuality, we haven't solved anything. So.
0: Mm, Yeah, seeing that, I was going to ask you, what's the difference between resolution and management? Can you go into that a little bit more for us? Because that is a really popular phrase, you know, conflict management and how to manage it. But conflict resolution, that almost sounds like, okay, resolution, I'm taking ownership (laughs) of this. And management is just, I'm sort of managing the person in the situation. Is that sort of what you're talking about?
1: or I'm managing in this for this moment, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Because it's becoming a conflict, and in actuality, I don't want to. I want to avoid it, but I have to do something. So I'm going to do whatever I can do at this particular moment. But that doesn't this conflict doesn't necessarily go away. I know what one of the examples I gave in in the article was about um, the fact that we had uh, we have a dress code now. We're all the students are wearing scrubs, but before we had a dress code, you know, you, you needed to wear khakis. You We had a uh, Ohio university polo shirt that you, you know, could wear. And now, um, this is in the clinic. This is in the clinic, okay. right. Okay. This, is, this is in the, sorry, this is in the clinic. Okay. That's okay. And, and it was pretty clear, you know, in terms of no flashy jewelry, you know, things, anything that would distract the client, you know, mm-hmm. we, we thought we were fairly clear, so we had a student who at every turn would not do the opposite but she wasn't exactly following what we would consider as dress code right um and so we um um the one of the supervisors had a meeting with her and the meeting was you will wear what we tell you to wear um or else I'm not going to give you credit for any of the clinic hours that you have wow and and that was the meeting wow and And so that was the resolution, right? You know, you do what I say, or I'm going to punish you for it. So the student did what she had to do for the rest of the semester that she was with us. Then she goes out on externship. (laughs) And we, you know, think that everything is fine. You know, I'm in charge of externship. So I'm the one that gets the information and we get a scathing letter from the preceptor that was on site saying you need to teach students how to dress appropriately for um doing therapy and i'm like well uh, you know we ha- we had resolved that issue right but we didn't manage it because obviously the student didn't learn that what we meant was everywhere you know here are the things that you need to do but we resolved it she did it for us but it didn't carry over into another situation so to me it was not managed I mean, it was managed; it wasn't resolved.
0: Okay, so just the opposite. Okay, just yeah. the opposite. Okay, right?
1: it wasn't. It was managed, right? But it wasn't resolved because there wasn't any carryover um, that that took place. And the way that it was managed was with threats. I'm going to take something away from you, kind of like what we you know tend to do. Or I have three grandsons. You know, one is five, but growing up, you know, his parents would go, "If you don't do this, this is going to happen." And by the time he was three, he was smart enough to realize it wasn't going to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) nobody followed through with it. So therefore, I can still get away with it. They thought it was resolved. Yeah. You know, it was resolved. But the only thing they had done really was to manage it. So to me, that's what the difference is between those.
0: Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. You know, and as you're talking, I'm thinking, boy, yeah, this whole conflict resolution flows over into... I mean name any area of life right whether it's marriage <laughs> whether it's <laughs> with your kids <laughs> mm-hmm. or being a supervisor in a university or perhaps you are a supervisory type person in the schools and you have another SLP that's you know doing their their uh, practicum right and you're responsible for you know ushering them along and nurturing them along and teaching them. So all of this, this information, conflict resolution, is foundational thought, I would say, to really, um, you know, to sort of uh, put into your uh, lifestyle as you move through life. It's not just for, for teachers and students. Correct.
1: Yeah, I I believe I and I think it's one of the things that when we take a look at well now Asha and and as is requiring you to have you know at least two hours in the art of supervision and I call it an art because that's what it is it's you know it's an art it's what it is and it it used to be I mean I went to school I tell my students all the time in the dark ages you know we had you know slates and gas lights and things like that but. <laughs> Yes. but it used to be the thought that if you were a good clinician you could be a good supervisor mm-hmm. and 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 it takes a little bit more than just being a good clinician to be a good supervisor because as a clinician you can you know the word i want to say is not finagle, but that's what i'm thinking of you know you work with your client um you have mutual goals in terms of making progress because they want to get better Oftentimes, student clinicians come in and they don't know what they don't know,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? Sure. They don't understand all the nuances that are involved in terms of working with um, different individuals and that what our job is to do is to teach them that, but we all know that people learn differently, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be the person that's flexible in that situation, not necessarily the student. Um, And that is... Something that I've learned in the years that I've been a supervisor is that not everybody. I can't. I can't approach everyone in the same way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that in order to figure out why why we're having this dissonance, then I have to take a step back and take a look at what my behavior might be, and then where they're coming from. Yeah. You know, why is this? And and again, when they talk about the what happened conversation, okay, what happened? What happened that caused this conflict to occur? Was it something that was said? Was it something that was not said? Um, Nonverbals mean a lot. You know, oftentimes we have these nonverbals that we don't even recognize. And maybe the student said something and your face did something else and the student picked up on that nonverbal but they're not going to tell you because guess what you're the person in power that's right right that's right you know you're the person in power so I'm not going to tell you Now I'm going to tell all my classmates but I'm not going to tell you that this is what offended me but your nonverbals right are now being affected by what I did and may not even have been conscious of what I did you know when you figure that part out, you have to think about, okay, feelings. So were my feelings hurt because their feelings were hurt? Or do I think that their feelings shouldn't have been hurt? I really didn't mean anything by that, you know? But again, I don't say that to that person. I just go, well, they should get over it. <laughs> right. It was just. An eye roll, and we all know eye rolls you can hear from a mile away, you know, <laughs> yes, it wasn't anything for them personally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera so you you have to have that, um, and you have to be humble enough, I think, to say to somebody, I don't know what went wrong here, but let's see if we can't figure it out. you know that's part of that whole discussion about resolving that, and then thinking about what the identity is, you know, what the situation means to us. Again, what happened may not have meant anything to us, but it meant something to the other person. Mm -hmm. And until we have that conversation, right, that conversation, which is hard to do, then we're not going to know that. And we'll spend years or they'll spend years thinking about how horrible you were as a clinical supervisor because of that one incident that occurred that you may not even have been aware of. Mm, right? Mm. We are all humans. We have to keep remembering that. You know, we're not we're not invincible. Although sometimes I think we might be. You know, we make mistakes, and and gee, isn't it important for us to say to somebody, mm, I, you know, I, that's not what I meant, or it didn't come out the way I. I thought it was supposed to come out. Um so let's let's start this conversation over again.
0: Mhm. Okay. Well, let me let me jump in here and ask you and kind of tell you what's going through my brain. You know, this seems like um there needs to be a sense of trust um that's built uh even you know, I'm going to say early on. Mm-hmm. And to open the door that if there is anything that one of us says or does, or if we eye roll, <laughs> maybe we add something in our eye, <laughs> you know, we need, yes, to, we need right. to talk about <laughs> that, that it's okay to talk about these things. Because here you are as a graduate student, and you're only going to be a graduate student for only so long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the primary goal is that you and I are going to work together and we have this commonality that we want to really enhance our kids, you know, w- communication skills, whatever it is that we're doing. So we need to stay focused on that. And we don't want any of this other to get in the way. But we need to establish that trust first. I'm thinking. Yes. That and to open it up and say, hey, if something if if I say something, please bring it to my attention and let's discuss it. Is that I mean, just to let them know just right up front that, hey, my goal is, you know, to for us to work together and, you know, to share information and that if something happens along the way, then whether I know it or whether I don't, I'd like you to share that with me so that we can discuss it. But, you know, even then, I'm sure that, you know, that opens the door, but you've got to build the trust so that if that person does mention something, then... You know how to discuss it. I mean, is that is that I would think that would be an issue that we all need to address,
1: Yes, I think that that and and the other part is that we can say it, but we also have to understand where that student is coming from. I mean, we are in a position of power, right? I control if you give grades for clinic, um, uh, um I control your evaluations when you're, you know, with me. Um, And that um, if I don't start off from the very beginning and say, it's really important that we have this open line of communication. Now, let me tell you how to communicate with me. It's not coming to my door and I'm eating a sandwich and I'm writing a note and you say, I have a quick question. That is not the way to approach me. Right. Okay. You can come you can come and knock on my door and say, We need to have a meeting and I'll say, Here's where you sign up for a meeting. If you don't find a time, then we'll figure out another time to do it. So but it's important again to establish those boundaries, right? Right. But is it Cesar that says boundaries, limits, and expectations, right? When training when training dogs. But yeah, yeah. I think it's I the like same him. thing when you're Yeah, yeah. <laughs> same thing when you're working with people. I want you to be able to come and t- and talk to me about things that are happening. However, sometimes I won't have that immediate time that you're looking for. Okay. Right? And that's so fair we, enough. And that's, that's fair front. enough, right? Sure. That's upfront and saying, here are my best times. If that doesn't match, then we're going to have to figure out a way to, to work this. Um, and now with Zoom and Teams and... Text messages and all the rest of that stuff, it, it opens up more lines of communication. It's amazing that we don't use them, but we don't. <laughs> but it's, I think that it's a way to say, let's build, let's establish what those boundaries, limits, and expectations are, you know? Um, and then the other thing that we have to do, I think, as supervisors is to observe our students, not just their clinical skills, okay. but what happens when you say something to them those nonverbals unless they're really good show up right you get the ones who are twirling their hair or the ones who their knee starts bouncing up and down because you're now giving them some instruction that they didn't think about before right they're the ones who might avoid you right in the clinic because they think that they're going to hear something else and i think it's important then again being that person in the position of power to say hey mary you know um i noticed that We really haven't had a conversation lately. You know, what's going on with with you? And I'm not talking about the client. I'm talking about with you. You know, just those kinds of moments, I think, are really important, again, to establish that relationship and that that trust. So that if there is a conflict, right, right? You're seeing things differently, then maybe you're able to open that door to have that conversation. Okay.
0: In your article, and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, because I don't know if you remember this or not, but you said the phrase, conflict is more than just a disagreement, which is a great phrase. And then you gave an example of a survey of millennials,
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, graduate students would rather avoid direct conflict resolution than engage in problem solving and that right. piece kind of fits in right here. Do you remember that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Could you sort of expand on that a little? Expound?
1: I think that it's that that again what we have is and and I'm I'm speaking in generalities because we all know there are exceptions to every rule, right? Sure. But we're looking at students who have moved from the undergraduate to the graduate program. And as an undergraduate they did a lot of binging and purging. So they had to force down information and then they were given this standardized, I mean, this didactic test where they had to spew it all back on the test. And if if you caught them right as they walked out the room and said, okay, tell me what you remember, they would tell you nothing because it was all this, right? Then we moved them into a graduate program where where you're expected to do is not binge and purge, but apply. Mm Mm-hmm. You're asked to do critical thinking. And when you're talking about conflict resolution, that's what problem solving is. Problem solving is critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And that we're asking them to now change, again, remembering change is a process and not an event. We're asking them to change the way that they have learned from just that binge and purge to now that application. We do it, right? Right. And don't think about it because we've been doing it for such a long time. Yeah. But if you go back and say, boy, I remember, you know, moving from undergrad to grad and that, you know, as a graduate student, I was asked to do this problem solving. So tell me all about this client and all the things that you need to do. And I can remember, you know, until I got ready to graduate, I was struggling because I was used to having here's the answer. Right. The answer is in the book. Um. And as I tell my students all the time, please find me one of those clients that they have in books because I haven't seen one yet. <laughs> I, you know, They're wonderfully written, right? But I haven't seen any of those. Yeah. And so that, that conflict can occur between the supervisor and the supervisee because the supervisor sees the entire picture and the supervisee is looking for that one answer. Mm-hmm. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Mm hmm. hmm. And and that as a supervisor, I, I talk about that continuum, you know, that direct active. So you're versus consultative and collaborative. You know, we can't stay in direct active, even though that's where students want us to be. We really have to talk to them about, you know, we need to move forward here so that you are doing more problem solving and that you really think about what are all the aspects that you see as the supervisor that I don't see, as the student, right? But they're not going to ask you that question. Mm-hmm. So you have to come up with that, you know, with with that information. Say, let let me tell you what I see, um, and that and that maybe what you can look for is X, Y, and Z because that's what I'm seeing here. And then how are we going to solve that mm-hmm. um, issue? Um, how are we going to get more responses from this child? How are we going to get them to cooperate with us when we wanted to, you know, our, our um, turn taking in terms of, of, of play? Um, here's what I see. Now, let's figure out how you here's what I would do. But you're not me. So let's see if we can figure out a way for you to solve this You know, on your own. I I think that's just so important. Um again, as a part of that that resolution of conflict yeah. Yeah. and that it's something that they can carry over with them. remember when we manage it um it, it you know it occurs for that one time, but if we resolve it, then it'll carry over into other situations, and that's what we i mean I think that's what we all are looking for, not just solving that one time, but is it gonna carry over to the next client, even though the client might be different. There are some things that are fundamentally the same Mm -hmm. when we're talking about working with clients. So, can we do that with our students as well?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I hope I answered that. I kind of went off on a tangent.
0: (laughs) That is just incredibly important. And, you know, the whole concept of of practicum and being involved with clients, now the student, the graduate student, or even the new clinician Mm -hmm. is now in the leadership role. In the I'm going to say power role, <laughs> right? Okay, yes. Which I, yeah. you know, not literally, but but yes, they are. Yes, they're leading that child, and and right. In the practicum piece, it's a they're sort of like middle management. You know, they've got the supervisor here, and then they've got the child here, and you know, they're sort of quotes answering to both, and they have to assume behaviors for both. And it's, it's, it's a crazy place to be. I mean, it really is. And I think that the student needs to know that we know that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, exactly. And
0: that, yeah, we know that. And it's not something that you automatically, or at least some, most SLPs, you know, grad students, don't just magically morph into this amazing therapist role. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so the um, listening skills and the observations and so on that you know that you're probably hoping that they develop with the client. Uh, hopefully you know they they develop it with you, the supervisor as well. Right. <laughs> you know yeah and that exactly. that they fine-tune their listening skills and their observational skills as far as communicating, you know, period. Um, and I know that you talked about fine-tuning listening skills is that is an area that we kind of need to focus on, right? As we're resolving conflict, or maybe even, you know, figuring out what to say that we don't move into that path of
1: conflict. Right. I think active listening, which is the term, you know, the terminology now is active listening, is something that people mouth, but they don't really do. And that if, if you're listening, then You might have a pause before you answer, because if you're actively listening, you're not already preparing the answer in your head. Mm -hmm. And that if you are truly actively listening, especially to the clinician, then you might say to them, and I've said this, you know, that is an excellent question. I don't have an answer at this moment. Because I've done my active listening and the things that they have said, it's like, oh, well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what to do with that. I'm going to have to go search somewhere, too. And so and I often say you might have a quick question, but I'm not sure that my answer is going to be quick because I really want to hear what it is that you're saying. So I might ask you questions about your question. Mm -hmm. They say, what can I do to make this child sit in their chair and follow my directions? And I say, well, what are the things that are happening before they get up out of their chair? Uh And the student goes, I don't know. Well, maybe you need to get that information. And then maybe we can look at how we can solve this problem. You know, the antecedent before the behavior and then the consequence. Uh So although I might have a lot of suggestions about, How to keep this child in their chair until I find out the antecedent and what that student has been doing. I mean, I'm watching, right? Of course, you're watching, but you can't watch 100% of the time. Um, And that might be the one time that the child gets out of their chair when you didn't see what the antecedent was. But if you're asking them to do that critical thinking and you're doing that active listening, you're not always giving them that solution. You're listening to what they're asking for and then. You say, well, let's see if we can solve that together. Not just me telling you, but what's going to work for you and what's going to work in this particular situation. So, yes, listening is really is is very important. If we don't, then we miss that opportunity. I think. Now, all of us don't have a whole lot of time. I, you know, I can, I can, I know that. You know, being a clinical supervisor, having worked in. Um, Uh, workplaces where you've got a student and you've got the teachers and you've got the principal and you've got, you know, whoever, and you're going, you want me to spend extra time (laughs) solving these things when they should already know it. Well, they don't know it. I think that's the thing that we need to, to, to really put out there and say, they may have gone to school for two years, but they don't know the things that we know, having experienced it through our, our workplace. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's an important aspect of taking a look at it. You know, what is the conflict? Is it that you think they're supposed to know and they don't? And again, in that position of power, they're not going to tell you they don't know. I can't tell you how many reports I've gotten from supervisors that have said, this student said they didn't know how to do the PLS. And I'm going, oh, they just lied to you because they should be dreaming about the p l s <laughs> because we do it so much, you know, or they said they didn't know how to do the Goldman Fristo, oh no, that's not the truth. I know they know how to do the Goldman Fristo. It's just that in that moment, the way that you might have approached them, they're panicking, right, Oh my gosh, they're gonna ask me to do a Goldman Fristo, and I don't remember how to do a Goldman Fristo ready, and they don't know yeah, I'm not ready, right, and rather than saying again with that conflict because students need to learn how to do conflict resolution too and saying, you caught me off guard there. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. can you give me about five minutes and I'll, you know, come back with, because I think that's the important, you know, that's the important part of that. How do we train our students how to answer and how do we train our supervisors, how to get the most out of, out, out of those students. I think those are some things that are really really important as a part of this.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, that's, yeah, that's a really good advice. Um, let's go back to that um, graduate student that's working with the child and having some difficulty with the child's behavior. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that you said, let's go back and look at the antecedent, you know, what was going on? You know, why do you think he did that? What was happening at the time? What were you doing at the time? And I love that because that plants the seeds in that grad student's mind of ah, that's what I need to do with other children as well. Right, exactly. So it's not, yeah, yeah. So you're you're helping them to resolve not just the the issue at hand, but also to resolve, oh boy, I'm probably gonna have other kids that have behavior problems, and here's a strategy that I need to really apply during those times. I mean, it gets complex. The whole thing gets complex. I mean, it really does. But what other kinds of things? Because I know that you've had, you know, issues that have come up with, with new therapists and kids and their behaviors. You know, how do you handle that? And that is an issue. If that's one thing that I remember when I was brand new, (laughs) I didn't know what to do with that kid that was like turning in his chair. I said, okay, let's work on this. And the kid looks at me like... No, let's not.
1: <laughs> you know, right. like we're we're uh, not doing that. Yet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that's yeah, right. No. No, we're not doing that. Yeah. We're that. not yeah. there, honey. <laughs> we're not there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you think you are, but here I am. Yeah. yeah. Um. I. I just think I, I. I use humor a lot. Um. Sometimes it's it's well taken, and other times it's not. But I say to my students all the time, you know, people are funny. We we're hilarious. And that if you can find the humor in the situation, rather than focusing on the fact that this child is standing on the table, we had one kid, I'm sorry, child, I used kid, I should use Well, oh, I use the
0: word kid too. And I think most therapists that are tuning in now probably use the, the word kid. And I don't know.
1: He was, uh, you know, he, he was standing on the therapy table and taking his clothes off. you you know well um hmm. right yeah yeah you know he was was, he was was, a more severely impaired kid or was this a no he this was a kid who the issue was i think he um had some phonological issues but he he was just he was he wanted to be in charge right and he would do things to shock i think he was like six But he would do things to shock people. And one of them, right, would be to take your clothes off. I mean, that would shock anybody. That would probably work. And so the clinician is just is stunned. I mean, just like, okay, now what do I do? And and so I go into the therapy room uh, because it's just not really appropriate not to have your clothes on in the therapy room. And yeah, you know, um, and so I said, you know, okay, we'll we'll talk about this. Later, but right now we need to to deal with mm-hmm. the fact that little Johnny is taking off his clothes, and I um, so I started asking him questions like, "Do you itch? Um, did you drop something down your pants? Um, you know, are, is it too hot in here?" Um, and to all these, he's saying, "No, no, 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 no." And I said, "Then there's no reason to take your clothes off. Put them back on. Mm-hmm. Just you know, calm." you know, voice, and he put them back on. And I said, now, um, do you need to be taller than us? Because there's another way to do that besides standing on the table. Would you like me to show you? Yeah. You know, so I got the the paper blocks and we built some stairs so that he could stand and be tall because he wanted to be taller. Okay, well, let's be taller someplace that's safer than on the table. So we were done with that. Got him out of there, and the clinician turned to me and said, "How did you think of that?" <laughs> and I went, "I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know." <laughs> you know, I said, "Sometimes you just have to go with what your gut is telling you. Mm-hmm. Yelling is never an option. Mm-mm. Questioning is never an option." You know, because if I had said to him, "You know, why are you taking your clothes off?"
0: That's always an a, a empty question and answer. Yeah, that's
1: empty. But yeah. but I can give you a question that you have, you know, do you itch? Okay, that's a that's a reasonable reason why you might be taking your clothes off. Did you drop something? That's a reasonable question, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. why? Well, there were none of those. So, okay, then put your clothes back on. But I said sometimes you you just have to think about this as it's not an option, but you have to make them think that it's an option when you're working with kids who are, who are trying to push your buttons, because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to push your buttons. Um, so it is. A, you, you talked about giving them that skill. Now, you're not going to use those exact words, because the next time the kid may not be taking their clothes off, but you're not going to give them um, questions that are open-ended. Like, I love our new clinicians who say, would you like to play another game now?
0: <laughs> no no right? no i i want um, right. to i want to go no, out and I, run around the playground yeah and, and run around the <laughs> yeah. playground right you know or
1: do you want to clean up mm, no nope. last no. on my list <laughs> yeah nope. i don't want to clean up you yeah. know so again there's that conflict where it's like okay we're, we're not giving you that option it's it's time to clean up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's clean up you know and sometimes you have to do it hand over hand you can clean up, you know, that way too. And and the other thing is being like, I just thought of another one, but being flexible is that we have, I'm sure every clinic in the world has the fish pond, you know, the big plastic thing that looks like a, a pond and you have the Arctic cards, the fish that have the magnets on the end and you have the fishing pole where the child is supposed to, you know, go fishing for the fish in the fishing pond. So the clinician came to me and was like, you know, uh, this is wonderful. We're going to do this. And I went, mm, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it'll it'll be great, right? Um, but you're going to have to think about what happens when they don't use it as a fishing pole. Oh, they're going to use it as a fishing pole. <laughs> no, nope, this little kid jumped in the middle of the pond and he was now Zorro, you know, right? <laughs> right, right. Sure. Kid. And the clinician is like shocked. And when she came out, I said... You always have to think about what might happen, not what is going to happen, but what might happen. And and so being flexible would be, okay. so he's now Zorro. So rather than fishing for the fish, he's going to stab the fish. And that's okay too, as long as we get those fish, you know. Um, So, again, it's that why make a conflict when there isn't one, you know, when you when you really think about it. Um, in that way, So those are just a couple of things that I thought. Yeah,
0: yeah, those are good ones. it's it's a uh, creative resolution.
1: Yes, creative mm-hmm. resolution mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. right. It's I like creative that resolution. I yeah. like
0: that, yeah. yes, definitely. Okay. Now you mentioned in your article five common, and in my notes, I put but not wonderful strategies. and ones that I would say many of us do, Uh, or have done. Um, And and can I just read them off and then you can address one or two or all as you want? Yep. Sure. Avoidance. Okay. Competing or forcing, you know, grabbing the kid off the table and pulling up his pants and putting him down on the floor and giving him a good, yeah. Okay. Um, Accommodating accommodating.
1: Letting him take his clothes off.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Letting letting him take his clothes off, which isn't appropriate, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's not a good choice. Collaborating and compromise. So avoiding, competing, or forcing, accommodating, collaborating, and compromise. And those are sort of the common things that a lot of us do uh in therapy and other relationships. So you want to talk about some of those and why they're not good. And then also give us, you know, maybe three wonderful, because you've given us a lot already, but I know that you have more. You know, just you know take us home, <laughs> you know, with three <laughs> of your top techniques. Okay. So avoidance, competing or forcing, accommodating, collaborating and compromise. And you can talk about any or all of those and why they're not particularly
1: good. I think one of the main ones for me is, is, is competing. Um, that, uh, as a supervisor, oftentimes they, uh, a, a supervisor will, will communicate to the student, you know, I'm the one who's in power. I'm the one who's in control. You must do what I tell you to do. And and that is not good because that person is not a mini you. You know, I I don't want mini me's. And that's also a um a, a management technique because people can become you for that time and situation, but they're not going to maintain that, right? And so I think that when people are using competing or forcing then that's not a good technique when you, when you've got conflict. Um, I think that accommodating is one where you you know you just go okay well whatever because I just don't want to you know um, um, I, I'm going to mention it to you but then I'm not going to bring it up again because you know you you should already know what you you need to do and I'm not really avoiding it you know because I might bring it up later um, like during your evaluation. I I might bring that thing up. I haven't done anything with it, but I'm going to bring it up, and I'm going to ding you for it because I've accommodated you because I don't want to make waves.
0: I just eye rolled. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's (laughs) no. I I did. You know (laughs) when you
1: when you think about it. it, Yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's really that you know. It really it it happens a lot, and I don't think people are deliberately doing it. I think that sometimes that's just what you're trained to do, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that that. When we when we look at collaborating, which is not a negative, I think collaborating is really important. Mm-hmm. It means that there's a give give, right? Instead of a win lose, right? I win, you lose, or you win, I lose. There's a give give or a win win, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I need to work with you, and that means opening up those lines of communication. And sometimes that's hard to do with students. I, I, I don't mean friendly. Um, I just mean supervisory, supervisor, supervisee relationships. That means that you are are taking a look at what the issue is going to be, and you're going to dissect it. Um, uh, we're a science, you know, profession, right? We all dissected brains and anatomy and physiology. Well, it's the same with problem solving. You have to dissect it.
0: Mm hmm.
1: What is what's the true issue here? And that is sometimes really hard for people to get to. What is the true issue here? Mm hmm. Is it for the student that, you know, they came into graduate school knowing that the only thing they ever wanted to do was work with adults? You know, don't like kids, don't want to work with kids. And here you are, you know, um, saying that I have to work with this nonverbal two year old for this entire semester and I don't want to do it, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to tell you I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to show you in, in, in a variety of different ways. So as the supervisor, I need to dissect that and say to this student, okay, we, we need to figure this out here because the child's not making any progress, which could be for a number of reasons, but it doesn't look like you're making any progress either. Mm. And my job, I think I talked about you know, the fact that it's this triad, right? It's the supervisor and you talked about it, the supervisor, the clinician, and the client <clears throat> and we all want to grow as a part of what we're doing. I want to grow as a supervisor i I want to supervise better. I want my clinician to grow and learn and develop, and we want our client to change. so if that's not happening, then we need to dissect it and figure out okay, what is happening here okay, and that means taking that step back, there's this great book about. If someone has done wrong to you, you know, rather than taking revenge, that maybe what you need to do is to walk around and look at it through their eyes because they're going to look at the same situation differently. And that when we're talking about this conflict resolution, as the supervisor, we need to walk around and look at it from our supervisee's eyes. Mm -hmm. What are they seeing that we don't see? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe they came in, and this has happened to me too, right? They came in. Um, or they see me in the hallway. I need to talk to you, Mrs. Wright. I need to talk to you, and I go <laughs> right the finger, <laughs> and I forget right, because they approached me in the hallway. It was the middle of me doing something else, forgot all about it, forgot I said I'd be with you in a minute. you know, and now the student is in a conflict because I didn't do what I said I was going to do and I get that vibe, and I need to go. Okay, wait, wait, hold it. What what's happened here? Well, you said you were going to. Oh, I am so sorry. I forgot. (laughs) You know, I I forgot. Sure, yeah, it's being human. Rather than going, well, you should have known better than to ask me in the hallway. You know, I'm really big, right? You know, so defensiveness does not work. (laughs) Defensiveness does not work. Does not work. Does not work. So. You said three, I think I said two, right? Um, I I think that that compromise is is really very important. Open communication is very important. If you know what your boundaries, your limits, and your expectations are, and we all do, we just don't say them, say them, right? Mm -hmm. Say them. No, I am not going to respond to your email at three in the morning. If there's an email or a phone call at three in the morning. The only phone calls I respond to at three in the morning are my children or my grandchildren because it's an emergency and somebody's on fire, right? Yes. So let let's you know let's establish that ahead of time. You you have a, a Zoom kitty? Too. I
0: have a Zoom kitty. We got a new baby. Say hi. Conflict resolution. Yes, <laughs> she has Let's, no yeah. clothes. You know, <laughs> she's uh, on the table. <laughs> on the, yeah, on the table and no clothes. Right? I think she does have an edge. Um,
1: <laughs> and sorry, <laughs> that's funny. My dog would be up here too, but he's too big. Oh. Um, so, um, so I, I, you know, I really think that those things are just are are so important. We still can have a backbone. I think sometimes Sometimes people think that because I'm talking about you know, listening and that, you know, you're, it's a wishbone. No, I'm not talking about a wishbone. You still have a backbone, but you need to be able to express what your boundaries, your limits and your expectations are, and then work with that individual, whether it's a, you know, a client or a supervisor, a CF, another coworker, right. To work with that individual to say, okay, how can we, you know, how can we develop this compromise here? Right. Here's what I expect. You're telling me that you can't. For example, for us, it's you know billing pages. Um, They they're supposed to fill out a billing page before they leave the clinic, and sometimes they don't, right? Which puts me behind. And so I said, "Look, we need to have this finished before you leave the clinic. So take it into the therapy room with you. There's no identifying information on there. Put it underneath your pile of papers." When the, once the client has walked out the door, sit there and fill out It's two check marks and a circle, you know, it's not like it's anything huge, but let's figure out how we can do this so that I am happy and, you know, you're happy as well. So there's that, that, that compromise that, you know, that takes place. Mm -hmm.
0: Very good. Yeah. You're not just stating here's what you need to do, but here's how, and here's a suggestion To really accomplish that in an easy manner.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or ask the question, how can this be accomplished so that both of us are happy? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Good question. Goes back to that critical thinking. You know, how how can we do it? Here's what's happening, and I'm not happy, and you're not going to be happy because I'm not happy. So how can we do this so both of us can be happy. Yes. Good question. Good question.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. I do have one more question for you and I call it the life question, the life question. So it's not necessarily anything about conflict resolution, although you might throw that in. I I don't know, (laughs) but here is the life question for you. Okay. When you were growing up, did you have any experiences or situations that influenced you to become an SLP?
1: Yes. Um actually there's a couple, but um so I had a younger sister who had a progressive neuromuscular disease. They still don't know to this day um what it was. They have a number of opinions, but um back in those times, you know, it was she was she was getting to the point where she was bedridden she didn't have enough um, muscle control to speak but she was very communicative right the slp would come to the house and would work this is back when before we had electronic you know devices but we had picture boards right making picture boards so that she could make choices as to the things that she wanted and didn't want and that what was what was so funny is that she She had a, she had a personality that was, you know, and, and the, and the SLP was, you know, having all these just wonderfully nice things on this picture board. And my sister was having none of it. You know, she wanted to be able to say no, and she wanted to be able to say, don't want, and she wanted to be able to say, and I thought, well, this, you know, A, I like this idea, you know, of being able to help people communicate. But isn't it important to listen to what the client wants versus what you want? That kind of yeah, you know, put put that in place then. And I thought, well, let, let me let me look at this field because actually, what I want—I came from a long line of teachers, um, but actually, what I wanted to be was a um, jazz club singer, which was never going to work in my household. But oh my gosh! And so my my second thing growing up was I was in high school and the choir director um was talking about, you know, things that you could do and I said, Well, you know, I really want to sing. And he goes, You need a job where you can like make some money. <laughs> and I went, Well, yeah, probably. Yeah, okay. So he took me to see a friend of his who was an SLP in the VA. And she was amazing. She was working with these guys, these rough guys, you know, they had been through the war they had TBIs. They had, you know, um, PTSD, although they didn't call it PTSD then. They had mental health issues. There were all these things that they had. And she became what it is that they needed during that particular time. She was an actress. You know, she would sing if they needed to, you know, have sing- songs sung to her. She had done her research in terms of the war that they were in. And so she could talk to them about places that they had been. And she could talk to them about the airplanes that they flew. And I was just entranced. I thought, you yeah. I mean, you can actually do this, make a living, talk to people about things and improve their overall situation. That cinched it for me. I, um. you know, you will in my high school yearbook is written, that I was going to be a clinical supervisor at a university at some point in my life. So, and I graduated from high school in 1972. So I think that those are the things that really that really influenced me. Because before then, who knew about speech therapy, right? Right. You know, you 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 know, you didn't know those things. But I found it and I I think it's I my husband teases me all the time about recruiting people, because I go everywhere and we're recruiting. You want to think about speech therapy or ideology, I have to give my ideology folks credit to, but you know, either one. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's my story. I love it. Um, I love it. That is
0: amazing. Wow. Wow. Between your sister and your, your whole family involvement and, and how you saw and compared kind of what was going on therapy wise. And then that whole VA therapist that just was lighting up their world.
1: Yes, yeah, she was. It was amazing. Yeah, wow, it that's was great. Yeah. yeah, she really. I mean, she really took that. You know, the aspects of evidence-based practice, right? Yeah, clinician expertise, the evidence, and then client needs. Oh my gosh, she focused on the client needs, and she had great progress with these guys. Um, um, that you know, I still think about to this day. Um, so, yeah. Wow.
0: Oh, that's a, that's wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you. You're very yeah. welcome. In fact, thank you so much for sharing your amazing knowledge and your expertise. Very, very helpful. Lots of of, of useful practical nuggets. And I,
1: that's what I like. Thank you. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, I was able to answer the questions and hopefully, you know. Have some folks thinking. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. 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 Yes.
0: Also, I do want to thank all of you for being here and for tuning in and for continuing to get the word out about the SpeechLink podcast, where you not only learn practical information like today, but you also learn CEUs. And in a week or so, the audio version of this episode will be available for free on all the popular podcast apps like Apple Podcast and TuneIn and Podbean and so on. So I greatly appreciate your positive, supportive, com- uh, your comments, and also your views on all of that. Um, and also, I just want to mention about um, our future podcast here. We're going to plan ahead uh, for in two weeks. We've got Kristen Martinez, an SLP. will share her knowledge about telepractice techniques. And that date is Thursday, January 27th at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And as we wrap up, you know what to do. Just log on into your speechtherapypd.com account and take the quiz, do the evaluation, and print out your certificate. And I do hope that you all realize how much you are appreciated. And thank you so much for all that you do with your therapy kids. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm thrilled you tuned into the speech link. I hope it was helpful. Just leave a quick review and subscribe to be a part of a select group that receives every episode. For CEUs, go to SpeechTherapyPD.com. And for everything else, visit CharBochart.com. There's free materials, articles, books, and my blog, Therapy Matters. Thank you for all you do. See you next time.